Hey, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us, uh, especially our MCC moms. Thank you so much for your influence in the lives of your children, in the lives of our church. And, and I want to let you know that we're not able to celebrate you today like we're accustomed to, but you better believe we're going to when we're able to be back together uh, again. Hey, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Thanks so much for joining us today. And I just want to say today we're starting a series called Women Who Changed Their World. And on that note, check this out. This is a picture of some of the ladies who lead here at MCC, and I'm thankful. I just want to say I'm thankful for how you allow God to use you to change our world today. So to the ladies who lead here in all kinds of ministries, thank you. I'm so proud that I get to serve the church by leading next to you. Hey, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four women uh, and what they did to change the world. Actually, we're going to be looking at five because today we look at a mother and daughter uh, duo, and you may not recognize their names just yet, Lois and Eunice. You may not recognize their names just yet, but I've told you before that their story is my story uh, because I grew up in a home where my dad, you know, went to church sometimes when I was, as a kid, when I was growing up. Uh, and I found, I was reminded the other day of the cartoon that reminds me of my growing up years. It uh, shows a mom uh, who has gotten ready for church and her husband didn't attend. And, uh, and so she went to check on her youngest son to see if he was getting himself ready. She walks into the living room and there's dad sitting on the sofa reading the sports page as normal. And there's her youngest son sitting next to him in his underwear reading the comics. And she looks at her youngest son and says, what are you doing? Why aren't you dressed? Aren't you going to church with me this morning? And her youngest son looked up at her and said, nah, I'm going to stay home and go to hell with dad. Listen, ladies, no poking your husband in the side. And to be sure, my dad did give his life to Jesus when he was 50 years old. He made his commitment to Jesus uh, through his baptism. And I remember, I can still see my dad sitting in his chair reading his Bible, reading his uh, Bible school lesson to prepare for Sunday morning. But it's hard to tell what our kids are learning from us, isn't it? And I think we underestimate uh, what our children are learning and the impact it makes, not just on their lives then, but on, on lives now as well. So this morning, as we look in Scripture at women who changed their world, we thought for Mother's Day we would begin with Lois and Eunice, to remind us of the impact that we have on the next generation and how they can greatly impact the lives of others as they grow up as well. So check this out. This is everything that we have written about Lois and Eunice in Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1 at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes on, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also, and so for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love 
and self-discipline. Now, this letter is the last recorded letter we have of the Apostle Paul, and it's one of those uh, good news, bad news situations. Here's the good news, and it's important when you're reading this letter to Timothy uh, that you know this, but it can easily be missed uh, if you don't know about Paul and Timothy, because Paul and Timothy were not just co-workers, uh, not just fellow missionaries. They weren't just associates in the same field. They were actually friends, and, th- and they weren't just friends. They-, they were good friends. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, Paul addresses Timothy as my dear son. Do, y- do you know how these two met? Listen, in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are on what we call their first missionary journey, and they're in a town called Lystra. And Paul heals this lame man, and then he preaches a sermon. And there are some folks who have come from out of town who don't like Paul. And so they turn this crowd that's been listening to him into a mob, and they stone Paul, and they drag him outside of the city because they think he's dead. And so the disciples in Lystra gather around Paul, and he gets up. Some scholars believe that Paul actually had died, that the believers prayed for him, and he came back to life. Man, can you imagine living in that town? Timothy did. What do you think Timothy's first introduction was to Paul? Front page of the Lister newspaper? Do you suppose maybe he heard that story in church? Or maybe he was there when it happened? Some speculate, and it's, it's really, it's only guessing, but some speculate that Paul actually recuperated in Timothy's house. And from what we read in Acts, and then again in the letters, first and second letters to Timothy, it appears that his grandmother, uh, Lois, and his mother Eunice taught Timothy the Old Testament scriptures, but it was actually Paul who led all three of them to see that Jesus is the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And that's why Paul then calls Timothy, my beloved son or my dear son, Uh, When Paul returns on his next missionary journey, he takes Timothy with him. And so Timothy gets to experience Paul's teaching. He gets to see Lydia saved. He gets to see Paul and Silas casting a demon out of a girl and then put in prison and then singing while they're in prison and then the prison uh, falling and he sees the say they saved the jailer's life and then they led the jailer's whole family to Christ and then they escaped from Thessalonica in the middle of the night. Some might call that a, a tough internship, right? Uh, but can you imagine how close a friendship that those experience forged? Isn't that what happens when you experience those types of things with someone else? Listen, haven't you got friends that you're really close to because of what you've been through together? Paul, and, Paul had Timothy under his wing. Look at verse 3, and I love this. Every time Paul thinks of him, he prays for him. Verse 4 tells us that at least one time uh, when they parted company that Timothy had wept. And I'm, I'm going to guess that you have a friend like that. Uh, and, and maybe you don't cry but you feel it inside. When, when, you're, when you separate, I mean, it's like uh, there is a hole inside of you. Florence Ring said that uh, when she was visiting a friend for a few days, she noticed a to-do list on the table that said, polish furniture, scrub bathrooms, change the bedding in the guest room, buy a homemade-looking cake, bring out the clock Flory gave us, throw this list away before Flory arrives. 
Listen, that's not the kind of friendship that Paul and Timothy had. They were not just friends. They were good friends. And that's the good news. And that's pretty good news to have someone like the Apostle Paul as a very close friend. So that's good news. Here's the bad news. Remember I told you that these are the last recorded words, uh, written words of the Apostle Paul. It's because Paul's about to die, and he knows it. He's in a Roman prison for the second time. And in chapter 4 of this letter, Paul says that he's being poured out like a drink offering. And as you read on in chapter 4, what you find out is that everyone has deserted him. And in verse 9, he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Paul knew that God was about to move him off of the scene and that Timothy was about to take his place. And that's a big task. And Paul knew how hard it would be. And the last part of our message is, uh, our passage is the first thing Paul gives to Timothy to encourage him in his work. And so in the verses that we read at the very beginning, here's the question is, what did he give him? Did he give him a new teaching? Nope. Was it the ability to do great miracles? No. Did he give him a new doctrine? A book? A revelation from God? None of those things. Paul gave Timothy something he already had and many of us have as well. See, this isn't a Mother's Day message about Paul or Timothy. Verse 5 says, I am reminded. So something happened to remind Paul. Someone had said something. Someone had done something that made him think of Timothy. And I don't know if that ever happens to you or not. You know, someone says something or there's an object or, or a sound and it makes you think of someone else. And so something reminded Paul of Timothy's faith and how it got there. And now he's reminding Timothy from his grandmother Lois to his mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you. So it's not your grandmother's faith I'm talking about, Timothy. It's not your mom's faith. It's your faith. And I just want to make sure you catch this. Paul doesn't encourage Timothy by reminding him of where his faith is now. He encourages him, listen, not with the lofty things that Timothy knows now. He, he, he reminds him, he takes him all the way back to where his faith started. And here's what I want to make sure we catch today. I change my world just like Lois and Eunice. If I'm going to do that, I need to pass my faith to the next generation. Paul wrote, Timothy, you started getting it when you were a little boy. And I wonder if Timothy thought back to when he first began to hear. And so if you've got the YouVersion Bible app open, you'll notice that on the notes there's this question, do you remember how you got your faith? And by the way, if, if you don't have the YouVersion open, you might want to write that question down. Do you remember how you got your faith? Uh, maybe there was a place or a time or a part of your life, a period of time in your life. Most likely there's going to be a person's face attached. Do you remember the first things you learned? Maybe it was at home. Maybe it was in Bible school. Maybe it was at church camp. Maybe it was from your, your spouse. And, and, and I'm not talking about the big heavy stuff. I'm talking about it first, the, the simple stuff. You know, as I was thinking through this passage, uh, it caused me to think about Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is called the Shema. And Jewish people to this day recite this passage. But down in verse 20 of chapter 6, we read these words, when your children ask you, what is the meaning of this? When your sons ask you, what is the meaning of this? And then I thought, Man, that sounds so familiar. I know I've read this more than one time. And so I began to look through the Old Testament. That phrase is repeated five times 
in the Old Testament. Five different times we read, listen, when your children ask you what this means, can you remember? Because maybe God wants to encourage you this morning, like Paul did Timothy, where did your faith start? Who was it, who was it that helped your faith start? Because maybe, maybe you get to be the one, not maybe, you need to be the one who helps someone else's faith start as well. I love how the message version says this. Your honest faith, talking to Timothy, your honest faith, and what a rich faith it is, handed down from your grandmother Lois to your mother Eunice, and now to you. And it's those words, honest faith. So get this, I change my world like Lois and Eunice with my authentic faith. You've already seen the video of this past Thursday, Adria Fritch made her commitment to Jesus in her baptism. And I tell every parent I can, your children are not making this decision merely because uh, they heard Bible stories. They're making this decision because they have watched you live the Bible out right in front of them. Not perfectly, not sinlessly, but faithfully. Which means, by the way, when you fall, when, when, when you do something wrong, you ask God for forgiveness. You get back up and you keep going. Our kids need to see that because they're going to make bad decisions from time to time as well. For our children to want to love God and follow his word, they need to see that our faith is honest and that we want to read God's word and follow what it says, that our faith is important to us, part of who you are when people are looking and part of who you are when they're not. Listen, my quiet time has almost always been first thing in the morning for me. And when my kids were little, uh, before, they, uh, before they got up, I would spend time with God. One morning, Joshua came out early, and he caught me on my knees uh, at the sofa. And he said, Dad, what are you doing? Sometimes our kids need to catch us alone with God. And when we come together like this to look at issues uh, that's going on in our world, even our response to uh, the virus, one of our first questions has to be, what does the Bible say? Is that what your children are hearing you ask at home, first thing? Listen, they see you open your Bible here. Do they see you open your Bible at home? I can still remember when I was little, my brother and I would spend uh, every Friday night at Granny's house, and we had a blast. And when I was younger, I used to think that was for us. And then when I became a parent, I figured out who that was really for. But I will tell you, now that I'm a grandpa, it's reversed itself again. <laughs> now I know it's for me. But I remember seeing my granny read her Bible, and she would read to us from a Bible storybook before we would go to bed. I remember watching my mom read her Bible. And when I got older, I caught mom and dad reading their Bible together. <laughs> Listen, your adult children, they'll never forget those images. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, when you're sitting at home watching TV or when you're out making a living, does what you say coincide, what you say you believe, does it coincide with how you live your life? 
Do the words that you use at home, at work, and at play match the words that you use around the church? Do they see you pray at home as they see you pray at church? Listen, that's exactly what this means in Proverbs 20. Good people live right, and God blesses the children who follow their example. You might be surprised to hear what your kids see and remember because it impacts who they are becoming and in turn what they will pass on to their family. James Dobson from Focus on the Family said that early in his career, listen, he was on the fast track when it came to job success, but he was gone from his family way too often, and he knew that. Uh, his letter, his father wrote him a letter, he said, that would change his life. And the letter included this basic truth. This, by the way, is on your notes as well. In a relay race, it doesn't matter how fast you run. If you drop the baton, it's over. If you drop the baton, the race is over. Listen, that's why we put such a premium here at MCC on children and student ministries. Uh, but this passage is about the home. And so this line of thinking comes from what David wrote in Psalm uh, 78. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things that our ancestors have taught us, we're not going to hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. Psalm 78 describes our faith as a perpetual relay of truth. I don't know if you've ever watched a relay race. It's a contest in which a number of teams with several individuals, uh, each one waits as one member from their team runs a distance and then hands the baton to the next team member. And back and forth it goes. They run their distance and they hand off the baton. If someone drops the baton, listen, if the baton hits the ground, there is a loss of time, there is a loss of distance, there is a loss of position. Can you imagine what happens to the heart rate of the runner who is watching his teammate run toward him? Uh, how, how they begin to run slowly at first and then faster and faster and they're reaching their hand behind them, feeling for the baton and the runner behind them, their partner is running behind them, stretching out with the baton to put into their hand. At this very moment, when one is straining forward and one is reaching backward, listen, at that very moment, the, the race is won or lost. A successful pass of the baton means that you continue in the race and have the chance of winning. But if the baton is dropped at that moment, the hope of winning is lost. God designed our homes to be a relay where truths are passed from one person to the other. It's verse 4. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will pass them on to the next generation. Listen, let me ask you, what do you teach your children at home? Determination, manners, I hope, honesty, I'm sure, do your best, love for family. Kara McCoy said, my grandmother had two simple rules uh, when it came to cleaning. She said, I don't do dishes and I don't do windows. Kara said, when I was a little girl, I asked her, why don't you do the dishes? And her grandmother said, because I have a dishwasher. She said, well, why don't you wash windows? Her grandmother said, because they don't fit in the dishwasher. Listen, some things that we pass on to our children are more important than others. Listen, do you also pass down, we will love God each day individually as we spend time with him 
and as we gather, even like this online, that we will love people, all people, even and maybe especially the ones who make it difficult. Do you teach your kids that we're going to live on mission? Listen, that, that we will support God's mission with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And how do you teach these? On your notes, I want to make sure you get this. Example is not the best method of teaching. It's the only method of teaching. Children will not remember how you tell them to act. But they will remember how they saw you act and react. And this is huge because these verses tell us unless a cycle is broken somewhere, what you teach will be taught. And then what, you, what they learned will be taught and handed down and teach and taught and teach and taught. And it becomes perpetual. It's what's handed off in the relay that gets handed to the next runner. My granny lived a block from our house when I was growing up. And then she came to live with us until she passed away. But when my brother and I would go over to her house, listen, we stayed overnight once a week, but we would go down to her house. She was just a block away. We would ride our bikes down to her house uh, multiple times during the week. And we could, uh, we, we could eat uh, in front of her TV in the living room. We were allowed to do that at home. And, and she would let us dig in her yard and her driveway with her kitchen spoon. She let us take her kitchen spoons outside and dig in the driveway. She made us, I remember she would make us sugar cookies that were bigger than our head. It was incredible. It was awesome. I have a ton of great memories from Granny, but I only have one object from her house that belonged to Granny. One. And I know that some of you have seen this, but honestly, I can't come to this passage without remembering this book. It's a Bible story book, and every time I come to this passage, I think of it because it's something that she handed off to my mom, and then my mom handed it off to me, and I've got to hand it off to my children, and now I'm watching my children hand it off to theirs. Moms, I just want to say that you're still changing the world, your world and our world when you pass your faith on to your children. And what we're about to remember, we're about to come to a time of communion. We remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. This time is designed to remind us that Jesus gave his life for our sins. And can I just say, while we're remembering that, would you also take a moment to think about who handed your faith to you and give God a word of thanks for what God did on our behalf by allowing his son to die for us? And would you also thank him for the one who reached into your life with his truth and passed their faith on to you? And be mindful, even now, of who you're passing your faith on to as well. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are grateful that we get to hold on to who you are, not merely because of what we heard growing up or heard from someone about who you are, but because of what we saw of you in their life. 
And so, Father, thank you for that. We are so grateful because it brings us to this moment where we remember the commitment that we have made to Jesus because he gave his life for ours on the cross. And so these emblems that we will take in just a moment, the bread that reminds us of his body uh, that was broken for us on the cross and the juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us on the cross. God, we come to this moment because somebody helped us understand that. And so as we are grateful to you and remember the commitment we've made to you. May we be reminded of those who have helped us come to the place where we could make that commitment to you. And Father, may we be mindful of those who are watching us even now, how we live our lives. That this act of remembering is something that is incorporated into how we live each day so that they might be drawn to you as well. God, thank you for this memory that we have, that we get to share. And Jesus, we pray this in your name because we love you so much. Amen.